to go with me to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, probably one of Pastor Rhonda and my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Isaiah was an incredible, phenomenal prophet. Uh, He prophesied several hundred years ago that a child would be born, a virgin would conceive, bring forth the child, his name would be called Emmanuel. Isaiah is also the one that prophesied that his name would be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting God, the Mighty Father, the Prince of Peace. So we love, we love this. Pastor Ron has already referred to Isaiah this morning as his uncle died. He got his eyes off the things of God and the things of the world and got his eyes back on God and saw the Lord high and lifted up. Today, ironically, as we were preparing yesterday for this message, there are things happening right now that affect end-time prophecy. Twice in the book of Revelation, it tells us, blessed is he who studies, reads, and understands prophecy. When you begin to examine the things that are going to take place in the last days, and when you think about the little country of Israel, if you've never been to Israel, Israel is half the size of the state of Georgia half the size. It's surrounded by Saudi Arabia, by Egypt, by Afghanistan, by Iran, by Iraq, by Persia, by all of the different countries that are anti, anti-Jew. They're, they're against God's people, and we watch every day something happen in the news. But there's a prophecy that you hear quoted time and time again by Bible scholars, and it says, when they shall say, peace and safety, We are looking at the possibility of a Palestinian state being created, being enforced, and the Jews are going to have to give up the Gaza Strip, probably part of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that when those days come to pass, that Israel will make a peace treaty with that entity, and in the middle of that peace treaty, the entity will violate that treaty, and that will usher in the the second coming of the Lord. I'm so pleased to tell you that I believe that we are going to be resurrected out before that takes place, but we are watching every day as more and more Bible prophecy takes place. And as we look at some of the things that God promised would have several hundred years ago, several thousand years ago, it is just remarkable and phenomenal how great our God really is. If you were with me several months ago, we showed you some of the galaxies and some of the solar systems and some of the, some of the stars, the, the, all, all the awesome wonders that are in the universe, and we, we, we elaborated on how great God is and how wonderful God is. I want to go a little different direction today. I want to bring attention, if I may, to two scriptures in Isaiah 40 and 12 and 40 and 25. They're basically the same scripture. I'm sorry, verse, let's go to verse... Um, 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? I want you to say in Isaiah, we're going to look at verse 12 in a minute. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Today we find this morning that God is asking us a question. What a powerful moment to think that the, the creator of the universes of of all of all time would take time to want to know our opinion or our thought concerning a matter that his thoughts are focused towards you his eye is upon you he's walking the circuit of the earth looking for people that will establish themselves and worship him in spirit and in truth but today god asks you a question who will you compare me to or who will you liken me to And when you think about that thought, the reason that pastor is going in this area this morning is because there are some in this house that have some mountains in their life. There are some in this this, this house that have some giants in their life. There are some in this house that have some circumstances in, in their life that they need some direction. They need clarity. They need purpose. They need to know some things about the God that created them and why we are a part of the family of God and why he, why he cares so much about us. And when I think about that question, who will you compare me to? I would like this morning for a few minutes to operate in the area of what mathematicians call logic comparison. Now, logic comparison means that I'm going to compare some things that you can relate to because it would be silly this morning for me to, to compare Oh, uh, let's say if we compared Gandhi with Abraham Lincoln. Well, there's really no things that we can get a, a, solid, a solid note to compare them to. Or if we were to compare Einstein to Churchill. 
it's impossible for us to draw some kind of conclusions because they don't they don't stack up together however if i were to compare the georgia bulldogs with the alabama roll tide i would have to say this morning looking at the defense and looking at the offense for this moment only alabama is definitely by comparison a better ball team than georgia and i hate that angel and courtney have to endure that but right now the truth is the truth and that is a logic comparison if i were this morning to talk about a a subject that you knew nothing about then it probably would not bless you uh that's okay because notre dame's going to take it all there there you have it uh if i pastor ron and i and there have been others that have been to egypt and have had the ability to observe the great pyramid i thought i was going to get arrested in egypt because i proceeded to walk up the steps of the pyramid not knowing the egyptians considered that holy and they got real irritated at me and marcus lamb had to intercede so that the soldier did not arrest me but if i were to talk about the sphinx and you've never seen the sphinx it would make a whole lot of sense unless i were to tell you the body of the sphinx is the size of a walmart how many have been to walmart so you can relate how big that is and it has the face of a lion how many seen a lion okay so by logic comparison today you can in your mind you can envision a, a, a lion the size of walmart with the with the face of a lion you can envision what the sphinx looks like so that's what we're going to do this morning just for a few minutes and when i think about greatness when i think about great people great men great women i cannot help but think about albert einstein albert einstein was probably one of the or if not the smartest man upon the face of the earth albert einstein was the one that you can technically go so fast in the future that actually you go in the future you can actually exceed your past your present and you can live a day that you have not experienced now you say well how does that what, what, what do you mean by that well a few years ago pastor Rhonda went to australia she called me and she told me it was wednesday but it was only tuesday in tennessee so i asked her so you're telling me you've already lived my tomorrow and everything's going to be okay i left i left tokyo japan friday night about 7:30. got on the airplane flew all night long and arrived at honolulu hawaii friday morning at 7:30. so technically i went so fast that i time traveled back into the future how cool is that but when I think about Einstein that created energy equals mass times the constant square of the speed of light, when I think about all the great things he did and all the great things he accomplished, I'm embarrassed because Einstein talks of time travel, but Jesus, the Son of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has time in the palm of his hand, and we don't operate on chronos we operate on kairos god's plan god's time god's calendar god's season for us so i'm embarrassed when i mention albert einstein because it pales in comparison to god then i think about one of my favorite statesmen winston churchill a man whose voice every day on the radio kept england from losing their mind the Nazis had begun to bomb, begin to invade, and horrible things were happening. But every day, his voice would come on the radio, and he would be positive and assertive, letting England know that everything was okay. I remember at one particular setting, Winston Churchill, and he was known to, he was known to, to, to speak things, and later you said, I wish I'd have thought of that. But he was at a, a certain celebration, and he got a little intoxicated and got a little beside himself. And one of the members of parliament confronted him and said, you're drunk and you're obnoxious. And he said, you're right, but you're ugly. <laughs> and in the morning, I'll be sober. I remember a particular time in, in parliament that Churchill went on the floor and made the statement about a certain legislature that he didn't have the brains of a flea, didn't have the brains of a little fly. He got called out on the on the, called out into the office and he was told that he was going to apologize so the next day the house of commons which is usually one-third full was packed to the rafters to see this great man humble he walked up to the podium and he said yesterday i made the statement that this certain delegate doesn't have the brains of a flea i have since then learned that he does have the brains of a flea but i think i think the one that is my favorite again at a party at a celebration when england declared victory when the world war ii was settled there was a great celebration and a woman walked up to churchill and, and he, she said you're rude 
you're obnoxious, and if I was your wife, I'd put, po- I'd put poison in your tea. He looked right at her and said, Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. So when you, when you, when you talk about the great, the great statements of, of Churchill, they, pair, they pale in comparison to the great statements that God made as far as, I will engrave your name on the palm of my hand. I will never leave you or forsake you. You're my beloved and my banner over you is mine. So I'm, I'm embarrassed today. Comparing Churchill and Einstein to God is like comparing an ant to a dinosaur or a candle to the sun. So very early in this message, I am in trouble, but aren't you glad that I'm going to have some help today? If you would today imagine a land of giants. Jack and the Beanstalk would be a perfect example. If you could imagine a giant so large that if he were to put his foot on the United States, the state, the United States would disappear. Isaiah 6 and 6 and 1, God said, the heaven is my throne the earth is my footstool. Where is my house and the place you build for me? What a question. What a statement. The heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. What kind of general contractor could possibly build a house for God to accommodate in? But aren't you glad this morning that we have an older brother? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that there I am. There you may be also. Jesus Christ is a gentle contractor of heaven, creating a place for you and I to live forever. Does that excite anybody in this house this morning? If, if you will, look at, look at verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Notice the first part of this question. Who has measured the waters in the palm of his hand? Several months ago, I was, I was in the, Pastor Ron has got a jacuzzi tub, and I was in there enjoying the tub. And the dog came in, the dog stood up on the side of the tub, and obviously the dog was thirsty. So I took my hand, and I scooped out a little water, and I let him drink from my hand, and I couldn't hold enough water in the palm of my hand to satisfy the thirst of a chihuahua. But when you consider the waters of the world, when you consider the Atlantic Ocean that starts on the coast of Ireland, moves and does whatever it wants and stops on the, on the coast there of New York, when you consider the Mediterranean Sea, the, the, the Pacific Ocean, when you consider the Colorado River, the, the Nile River, all the waters of the world, there's a, there's, a, there's a waterfall in Rhodesia, the Victorian Falls comes over the rate of a million gallons per minute. The Niagara Falls, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to observe it. It is phenomenal. It's sensational. Several years ago, a Texan went to New York and was viewing the, the Niagara Falls, and a, and, a, and a New Yorker came up and said, Hey, Tex, I'll bet you don't have anything like that in Texas. And the Texan drawled and said, No, but I know a plumber that can fix that leak in 10 minutes. <laughs> he, holds, he holds the waters of the world in the palm of his hand. Notice what, he, notice, notice what he says about measuring out heaven with the span. He measured out the heavens with the span. I had a little fun yesterday, and I thought I would just kind of focus on that fun this morning. When you talk about the span of heaven, when you talk about the speed of light, when you talk about light traveling at 186,000 miles per second, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light did not negotiate. Night, light did not argue. Light did not fuss with its destiny. The light simply became the light. That, that was before the sun was created the fourth day. On the, fourth, on the first day, God separated darkness from light and said the darkness could not arrest or comprehend or apprehend light. Let me tell you, wherever there's a dark place, there's always going to be the light of the gospel. There's always going to be the light of the world because ye are the light of the world. And I don't, you may not feel like that you're very significant or very important. I found this light. This is my little backup light in case I go to the woods and I get lost. 
And there's not a whole lot of light coming from this, from this flashlight. There's not a whole lot of light coming from the glow of your iPod, your iPad, or your cell phone. But that little bit of light, can I tell you the journey that light will take in the next year? Would you, would you allow me to just, just ponder a moment what kind of journey that would be? Light traveling at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. That by the time you count to three, help me, one, two, three. Light has just circled the earth 23,200 times. Light traveling at the speed per minute would be 11,160,000 miles per hour, minute. Per hour would be 669,600,000 miles per hour. And it does that because God told it to. It didn't argue. It didn't fuss. It simply did what it was supposed to do. Light traveling per day is 16,070,400,000. Light traveling at the speed per week is 385 million, 896 million, light traveling at the speed of light per, light per month, are you ready for this, is 117 billion, 635 million, 328,000. Light traveling, this little light in this year will travel, are you ready? One sextillion, four hundred eleven quadrillion, two hundred thirty-nine trillion, billion, million, thousand miles in one year. Why? Because God said, let there be light. And I remember as a child, because he always communicates to children on a level they can understand. I remember as a child growing up, we used to sing that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You don't know how powerful your light is until you get in an area of darkness where people desperately need to hear your light. We don't argue we don't fuss we simply determine we are the light of the world and it may not be that bright to us but it's bright to others they're watching your life they're watching your words and a day will come when you will illuminate the gospel to such a degree you're the salt you'll make them thirsty they'll come and drink and eat from the word of God and you will do what God has called you to do just like this flashlight did what it was called to do when I think of when I think of their circumference of the earth I remember that Jim Ryan and there have been two or three others that have broke the four four mile, four minute mile, which is phenomenal and it, it is incredible and they did it by teamwork. But if you would allow a miler that can run a four minute mile to run around the earth, just let him run, start running right now, it would take him four months, three weeks, four days, and twenty one hours to accomplish that task. When you consider the masses of this earth, and when you consider the density of this earth, I would like to ponder a question today. How much does it weigh? Take the Grand Canyon. Take Mount Everest. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherbet Engsing climbed to the top of Mount Everest and, and put a, a flag, a Great Britain flag, and the world cheered, and they should have. It was a great accomplishment. But take the Tetons, take, take, take all of the mountains of the world, take the mass of the, of the world, and ask, and ask, how much does it weigh? Can you tell me? God said, hold on a minute. Let me get my thimble. Let me, I'll tell you how much it weighs. It weighs about this much. Can you imagine serving a God that's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live in our heart? Can you imagine traveling at these incredible speeds? I have been told that for you to cross our galaxy, which our galaxy is a very small galaxy, it only has 100 billion stars, crossing our galaxy at the speed of light would take over 100,000 years to, to do that at the speed of light. If you were to cross the known universe, that, that as far as we know it, it would take you 100,200,000 years traveling at the speed of light to cross into, into regions that we don't know about. The hole in the north, they declare there are, there, there, there are universes we've never seen, we've never comprehended. We know the stars are continually being created even as I speak. 60 stars be created in the next 30 seconds. That's how big this universe is. God said, you want to know how much it is? Before there was metric in inches, there were spans. And the span of a man's hand from the longest finger to the thumb was eight inches. So if you were to ask me today, how long is this podium? I could tell you it's eight plus eight plus eight plus eight. Eight times four is 32. So this is 32 inches long by the span of my hand. 
But if you were to ask me how far it is from here to Udawal, I'm not going to get on my hands and knees and go eight, 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 because some hillbilly in a Ford truck would probably run me over. That's probably what would happen. But when you consider the vastness of the great universes and all of the, all the galaxies combined, God said, you want to know how big it is? It's this much. And he holds up his hand and says, this is how big it is. He measures all the universes of the world by the span of his hand. Notice verse 13. Oh, somebody should have shot it right there. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? In other words, who educated God? What university did God go to? Who were his professors? Who were his mentors? Who taught God? to put quinine in the bark of a tree. Who taught God to tell that monarch brother fly on the fourth generation to fly from Hartford, Connecticut to Tijuana, Mexico, chill there all winter long, and to make the journey back and lay eggs within inches of where they were spent? Who told God to put in the minds of those salmon that once every five years to make their way in the Pacific Ocean up the Kenai River and to lay their eggs within feet from where they were spawned who told God to allow the geese to fly at 71 degrees which is aerodynamically the the, the the angle that the fighter jets of Israel fly at the perfect angle who told God to teach the Canadian geese that do I have a friend in in the building this morning did you know that it is aerodynamically di impossible aerodynamically impossible for not just the butterfly of the bumblebee but for the hummingbird in relationship to the wings and the body weight, it is scientifically impossible for a bumblebee or a hummingbird to fly. Who forgot to tell God? God, you can't let the bumblebee fly. You can't let the hummingbird. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants it, because he's God, and that's God, and that's how it happens. Most of you are too young to remember life before cell phones, but I remember in the early 70s, there was a thought or there was a theory that, that appeared on the bumper stickers of some of, our, some of our cars that said that God is dead. It was very popular for a season. It didn't last long. It came and it went like most fads do. But I, I just was pondering that question that God is dead. And I ask you some questions this morning. If God is dead, then who killed him? If God is dead, what disease did he die of? If God is dead, where is the coroner's report? And I cannot talk to the man that examined the body. If God is dead, where is the death certificate and the man who signed it? If God is dead, introduce me to the pallbearers that carried his coffin. And can I know what cemetery they put him in? I'd like to talk to the man that dug the grave and put up the, the headstone. But the most important question I'd like to ask this morning, if God is dead, then who's this living in my vessel? He woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. He's blessed me going in. He's blessed me going out. He blesses me in every area of my life. If God is dead, then who's this living in my soul? I remember when we were kids, we used to sing that song, My God Can Do Anything, Anything. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. My God has done just what he said. My God can do anything. At the conclusion of this message, I want to share the second verse of that. The Bible says, my God can do anything, anything. My God can do anything. He made a way for you and I to meet him somewhere in the sky. And that is that blessed hope, that promise that we have that he is coming back for us. If that doesn't excite you, then let me also tell you what happened in my generation the theory of Darwinism began to appear in some of our textbooks and some of our statements, and we begin to talk about the theory of evolution and how it worked and the process of osmosis and biochemical fusion. Things just crawled out of the ocean, grew legs, eyeballs, and hair, and all those things, and then Corvettes and all the things that follow what man created. That's how man was created. I don't really agree with that. I believe that in the beginning, the God got down on his hands and knees, took some dirt mixed with water, played in the clay, made a man, made a woman, told them to populate the earth. And I believe that's how this 
this, this environment came into existence. I don't believe it was a big bang. I know that God spoke and the sound of the shout, mountains rose up, valleys flat, rivers begin to flow, birds begin to fly, worms begin to dig, and so on and so on and so on. It is because God called it and God made it happen. Two things I want you to know this morning, where God came from and what is his name. If you don't learn anything else this morning, then know this morning you're going to know the name of God. Would anybody like to know the name of God in his personal name? He has a whole bunch of names, Elohim and El Shaddai and Jehovah. But God's first name, are you ready? Is Andy. Yeah. Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me, Andy. I know Maga will enjoy that because most of us have probably never heard that song before. Come on, give the Lord a hand, clap of praise. His name is Andy. Where does God come from? I'm going to tell you where God came from. Didn't come from Alabama. Didn't come from Tennessee. Habakkuk 3 and 3 says that God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. The word Teman in Hebrew means a place of wilderness, a place of nothingness. So the Bible tells us that God came from nowhere. So may I give you the, my theory concerning creation, which can I entertain you with that just for a moment? The God from nowhere stepped out on nothing, took a handful of nothing, spoke to nothing, called it to be something, named it earth and threw it out in the middle of nowhere and told it to hang there until future notice. And then the God from nowhere stepped out on nothing, took another handful of nothing, spoke to nothing, called it the sun, and threw it exactly the right distance away from the earth and told it to hang there. And then the God from nowhere got anointed and he began to preach. And when he began to preach, he began to declare that stars would come into being, universe would come into being, that man would come into being, that there would be creeping things upon the earth, flying from things. Does that excite anybody in this place today? And then that God from from nowhere put a cross on Calvary and redeemed the world so that one day you and I could have a personal audience with the God of this universe and we could ask him all the questions that man's wanted to know. Somebody give a Lord a hand clap in this place. I love that page, but for lack of, for, because we're almost on a time schedule, I want to tell you that the God that we serve, when you look at just some of the basic stuff around you, it lets us realize one of two things. Number one, how insignificant the enemy makes us feel we are and how important that God makes us know that we are. As far as we know, and those of you that are Trekkie fans, you may disagree, but as far as you know, we are the only life upon this planet and upon millions and millions of light years away. As far as we've been to the moon, we're going to the Mars, there's places we've gone, and we've found absolutely no amoeba, we found no atom, we found absolutely no kind of life whatsoever. There's no plant life, there's no animal life, there's nothing on any of the planets that we have observed and some of the planets that we have stepped on. There is life nowhere else but us. With that thought in mind, the earth, we know, has a circumference of 25,000 miles. If the sun were hollow, the sun could hold, are you ready? 1,300,000 earths, if the sun were hollow. There's a star in our system called Antares. If the Antares were hollow, it could hold 64 million Sons. If this entire star was how there's a there's a constellation called Hercules, there's a star there called Hercules. If this Hercules star were hollow, Larry, it could hold one hundred million Antara stars. And then we have a product called Epsilon. That Epsilon came from a star that our telescopes have been able to see. If it were hollow, it could hold seven million Hercules stars. We are but a dust 
in the universe, uh, you know, just a speck of dust. We're smaller than a flea in the universes of the world. Yet God found us so important that he came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. That he would bless us in every area, answer our prayers, allow us to see miracles and operate in the power of his name. Does that excite anybody in this building? Go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap. Travel. I'll talk about travel in just a minute. Again, 186,000 miles per second. It would only take two seconds traveling at the speed of 186,000 miles per second to get to the moon. To get to the sun, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, it would take eight minutes. To get the end of our solar system traveling at the speed of light, it would take four months. To get to the nearest star of our, of our solar system traveling at the speed of light, it would take five years. And one of the constellations that we have seen called the Alpha Centurion traveling at the speed of light, it would take 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light to get to the end of our Milky Way. And if that doesn't impress you, our, our best telescope there in Irvine, California area, our best telescope reaching out into the universe of the world, they found this star called Nebula. And if you were traveling at the speed of light to get to this star called Nebula, it would take you 1,500,000 years to get to traveling at the speed of light to get to this star. Does that fascinate anybody? But the Bible says that when he comes like a thief in the night, you and I are going to rise up to meet him in the air and we're going to go where he's at and there we shall live forever. I believe Johnny Carson. I'll, I'll, let me get that a little later. Okay. You, let's do this. We're going to let this represent a dictionary. Your dictionary has 80,000 words in this dictionary. Letting this dictionary represent 80,000 words. For us to get from where we're at to the nearest star, each one of these representing 80,000, you would have to stack these 71 feet high. If that doesn't impress you, Psalm 147 and 4, he telleth the number of stars, he calleth them all by their name. At one time, man thought there was 142 sextillion stars. By then, he since realized there are a million times more than that particular amount that they thought that they had counted. Is that, does that bless anybody in this place? The distance of where I stand to the sun is 93 million miles. This represents 93 million miles. For me to, go, to represent the distance from here to the nearest star... I would have to stack this paper, each paper representing 93 million miles, I would have to stack this paper 71 feet high. To represent the distance of where I stand to the end of our universe, each one of this, these papers representing 93 million miles, I would have to stack this paper 310 miles high. Now, when you think about how far heaven must be in representation of this, there was a day when they went to the tomb and the tomb was empty and they went to embrace him. And do you remember what he said? Don't touch me because I haven't been to the Father yet. I haven't been glorified. But later that evening in a closed room where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, the Bible said that Jesus stood right in the middle of them. He said, touch me, embrace me. I've been to the Father. I've been to, I've been to heaven. All keys both in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go in my name. You take authority over demons. You raise the dead. You heal the sick. You feed the hungry. That's amazing that our God can travel from here to where he's at any time he wants with the process of Robert are you ready what's faster than sound what's faster than light thought I know the thoughts I think toward you see his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways just for fun how many how many in this building have been to California you've been to California okay think about it for a minute okay come back 
Okay, that was round trip. That was about 2,500 miles. You travel 5,000 miles. That's the way that God travels. He travels by thought. And he says, I know the thoughts that I think for you. God, in an instant, can bring into fruition the thoughts, the plans he has for you. All we've got to be is like this little flashlight, willing to have his batteries in us, willing to allow him to turn us on, and willing to shine in dark places that the world might be saved through the ministry of the gospel. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? Johnny Carson had a scientist on his show. And the scientist was explaining to Johnny why the Bible can't be real and Jesus can't do what he said that he would do and be what he said he would be. With the understanding of traveling at the speed of light, it would take 300 million years for Jesus to get to, to heaven and to get back on earth. So this scientist had all these formulas and all these diagrams and everything that he was trying to prove to Johnny Carson why the, why the Bible was not correct. But can I tell you about that scientist? Scientists have taken the human body and they've separated all the minerals and all the vitamins in our body and they have determined that our human body, our cadaver, is worth about $14. That's all of the elements, all the minerals, everything that you find in your body. That's the water, that's the blood. Everything combined, you're worth about $14. So we have this $14 man on the Johnny Carson show telling us that God cannot be who he is and Jesus cannot do what he said. You've got this $14 man wearing this $400 Versace suit. He got a $100 pair of shoes on. He got a $50 tie around a 10 cent neck. He goes and gets in his $35,000 vehicle. This 14 man goes up to his $200,000 home, kisses his $14 wife hello, sets down $2,000 dining room table with his $14 wife and his two $7.50 children. They eat a $100 steak and potatoes, and then he goes sits on his $1,200 11 couch, washes $2,500 surround sound, later decides to go to bed, lays down on a $2,500 posturpedic mattress, and in the middle of the night, that $14 man dies. They take that $14 man, place him in that $400 suit, buy him a $3,000 coffin, bury him in a $25 grave spot, put a $4,000 marble headset on top of it, and then cover him with the very thing that he was made of, dirt. Aren't you glad that you don't have the mindset of a $14 man? The 14 the $14 man, our theologians, our atheists, our agnostics, our apologists, they come up with all these theories. Number one, they said that the miracle of Elijah, the axe head can't float. They also said the Titanic can't sink. You know the, the, the miracle of the Red Sea? It's a misspelling in the Aramaic. It was supposed to be the Reed Sea, and the Reed Sea is only ten, two inches deep. Well, that makes it even a greater miracle. How could Pharaoh and all of his army drown in two inches of water? You know how they explain, they explain away the five loaves and, and the, the five loaves and the two fish? They said, well, the loaves were bigger in those days. See this with me. You got a 12-year-old boy carrying a loaf of bread 500 foot long, dragging two catfish weighing 1,000 pounds. Look at somebody and say foot. We, are, we serve a God that can. He's a God that can turn a well into a motel to make accommodations for evangelists. He's a God that can put a $12 slingshot in the hands of a 16 bullet and kill a 13-foot giant. He's a God that can put an air conditioning unit in a fiery furnace, make a lion's mane a pillow for a prophet. He can allow a 90-year-old woman to birth an Isaac to Bruce to succeed, to put a cross on Calvary and redeem the world. Can God? God can. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise in this building. Oh, I wish I had more time, but I am out of time. So those of you that have mountains, those of you that have circumstances, those of you that have challenges in your life, what you might need to do is tell your mountain about Jesus. Tell your problem about God. Instead of telling others how bad things are, why don't you start speaking to your problem? 
and taking authority over it in Jesus' name because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We did not hear, we did not see. There is not a lot of teaching today. I haven't been to all the churches, but I've been to a lot of churches, and we, we get a lot of tapes. We watch Christian television. We read a lot of books. There's not a lot of talk going on right now about not the second, but the sudden coming of Jesus Christ. Titus 2 and 13, we are to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says two will be sleeping in a bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. The Bible says two will be walking on a path together. One will be taken, one will be left. The Bible says like a thief in the night, he's coming for those only that are watching for him, that are expecting his return. This is my personal opinion. I have a few minutes to share my personal opinion. I believe Hollywood has a lot to do with the purpose and plan of God. I believe that what God said would take place in the last days, I believe that Hollywood has produced it, Hollywood has promoted it. This is my personal opinion. Last year, nine of, out of almost ten movies had to do with the extraterrestrial. There is, there, is li there is life on another planet, and there has been the thought that's been inserted into our brain that when an alien force comes, they're going to try to take over our planet. Many people will explain away the rapture of the church declaring that we have been visited by UFOs and many of us have been kidnapped. I do not believe America will recover from the rapture. The Bible is very clear in the last days. It lists Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Persia, Iraq. It, it, talk, it talks about Afghanistan. The Bible talks about the Great Bear, which is Russia, the army of 500 million, which is China. But nowhere... In biblical prophecy, does it tell us in the last days that there's a superpower that defends Israel? The Bible says in the last days, when that peace treaty is violated, the Antichrist will go into covenant with ten nations. And I believe we are one of those nations. We're getting ready to, to focus on European currency. We're getting ready to focus on a one-world currency. The United Nations voted Friday that a Palestinian state would be created and that Israel would share its borders with a godless, heathenistic a, 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 a society that hates Jews, hates everything that God stands for. And the Bible says that when that day takes place, there's no, super, there's no superpower. There's no America to defend. I don't think America will survive the rapture. I, don't, I, don't, I, believe, I believe America will become paranoid. I believe they will freak out. But can I tell you about the rapture? The Word says... The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I've always taught that the reason the dead in Christ rise first, that they need about a six-foot head start. <laughs> Makes sense to me. But in my studies, let me tell you what I have, what I have learned. Job said... Though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh will I see God. When Elijah and Enoch was translated on the Mount of Transfiguration, they're both recognized by who they were and what they looked like in the past, both of them. I have done some research and I have learned that at Pearl Harbor and at 911, there were nine Davises that perished. Through a study, Courtney will tell you, I found on the Facebook, I found someone connected to my family history. He emailed us 300 pages. Remember that guy? He faxed us 300 to prove to me that I had a relative at Pearl Harbor. My, whatever it was, second, third, fourth cousin, whatever it was, perished on the USS Arizona. Now let's just factor in that, that maybe he was a Christian. Drowned. They never resurrected the U.S. Arizona. I think almost a thousand soldiers, sailors lost their life. Let me tell you what happened to my third or fourth cousin. When he drowned, his body trapped 
in that vessel under sea, things begin to enter into his space. Things like crab, things like fish, and they begin to slowly devour his body. They ate his flesh right down to the bone, and then salt water began to erode his skeleton, and his body began to drift off. Fish that ate from him went and were eaten by other fish, who were then caught by Japanese fishermen and sold to America. There's a possibility that some of you have eaten part of my cousin. Just a thought, just a possibility. But can I tell you the miracle? I'll never get them back now. Can I, can I tell you the miracle of miracles? If my cousin was a born-again believer that died on the USS Arizona, can I tell you what's going to happen before I resurrect to meet the Lord in the air? Every molecule, every cell, every, every biological part of his body, wherever it's at, scattered to the four corners of the earth, are all going to regroup at the USS Arizona. His body is going to be restored. He's going to raise up out of that Pacific Ocean right there in front of Waikiki and everybody else, and he's going to meet the Lord in the air, and you and I are going to rise up and meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Does that excite anybody in this building today? Hallelujah. What a God. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? Too marvelous, my licks even say, big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live in our heart. Puts a new meaning on every time Benny Hinn has a crusade and he ends it with, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. He is a great God. And he has done great things. And he's only just begun the great things he wants to do. Matt, if you'll help me as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Just for a minute. There are some things I, want, I believe that God wants you to leave here today there are some things I believe that God wants you to take with you today the illustration of the flashlight two double A batteries I don't know what the wattage is on the bulb I'm sure it's not much but to think every time I turn this flashlight on and shine it towards the heavens the journey it makes because of the destiny God had for it. And when I think about God and His love for us, if He could do these things to the planet kingdom, to the animal kingdom, to science, how much more does He care about us today? And how much more can He do for us today? There are some things I believe, and I'll relate to an illustration. The ancient Persians of the Middle East had a law that if a man committed murder, they took the corpse and tied it to the man's back. Everywhere he went, he was forced to carry that corpse into the marketplace, the place of work, home, to bed. Every morning he got up with that corpse. Eventually that corpse would begin to decay and rot. And the death cells, that corpse would creep into his body. And he would die a horrible death. That's a terrible story. But no more terrible than what's going on here today. Some of you are carrying the corpse of yesterday's trash, yesterday's garbage, yesterday's experiences. You take it to bed at night, you get up with it in the morning. Everywhere you go, the enemy tries to attach you to your past and your failure. But like that caterpillar that builds that cocoon and goes through crushing when that cocoon explodes and that beautiful butterfly emerges, Paul said, Forgetting those things which are behind. Old things are passed away. 
old things are become new. But it'll never become new until you decide to make it new. You can be convinced that this is your peril, this is your journey, this is your destiny. And carry this the rest of your life. Or you can decide today, literally, mentally, to cast that thought, that vain imagination, that lie of the devil, and leave it here at this altar. If you've wandered away from God and you're not sure where your eternity is secure, a couple days ago, a famous football player in an argument with his girlfriend, the mother of his three-month-old baby, in front of his mom, shot his girlfriend and killed her. Then drove to the locker room where the coaches were assembled. In front of his coaches, he took his own life. None of us are promised tomorrow. Just a few days ago, a 17-year-old boy in an SUV pulled into a gas station playing their music loud a guy asked them to turn their music down they did an argument broke out this 45 year old man shot this 17 year old boy killed him instantly we didn't prophesy our entrance and we won't prophesy our exit Job said man's days upon earth are numbered and few and full of trouble if you're not sure where your eternal destiny rests, if you're not sure of your relationship with God, this morning just evaluate, just take an evaluation. Pastor Hank, if this world were to end, if the rapture were to take place, if I were to get in a car wreck and lose my life, I'm not sure if I'd open my eyes in the presence of God or I would open my eyes in a place of darkness. I'm not sure. If that's you this morning, as no one's looking around, nobody will embarrass you, no one will call you out, bring attention to you. But if that's where you're at, I'm not sure of my eternity. Would you put your hand up, put it right back down? Is there one? Yes, is there another? Father, touch that hand that was lifted towards you, a precious child that loves you, but daily we struggle with a thought process that is inaccurate. Every day we struggle with the enemy trying to convince us of what we are not. So today we acknowledge there's a door of our heart and we open it. We ask you, Lord, not to just come in for a visit, for a moment, but come in and find a place to habitate. Be the whole of our life. Be a part of our heart. Let us be secure in you. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you've walked in this building with a heavy, heavy burden, there's an old, old Church of God altar song that we used to sing that says, leave it there, leave it there, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. You are granted permission today to leave any junk you want to leave in this altar. We have a janitor called Holy Ghost. And when you leave, he takes your sins and separates them as far as the east is from the west. And all the things against you, he washes them with the liquid paper of the blood of his brother, Jesus Christ. And you leave this place healthy and whole and restored. Can you give the Lord the best hand clap you've given him all week long? Is